Welcome to the New Day Inklings podcast with Kyle Foshi. Daniel Fawcett joins me today. Daniel is the brain behind www.fawcettjournal.com. Visit his site to read his blog and short stories as well as view his YouTube channel and find the link to his podcast. He's doing quite a bit. Mr. Fawcett has published a book and is busy writing rather steadily. As you can see on his site and hear a little bit about on the show coming up, Daniel chose the book Radical by David Platt for us to discuss, a book that urges Christians to consider their attachment to the American dream as we know it. It's a good book, so check that out by Mr. Platt. Check out Daniel's site, and let's get to the show. It's a nice morning here at Union Jack Cafe in Rainbow City, Alabama. I'm here with Daniel Fawcett. How are you today, man? I'm good. Glad to be here, man. Thanks for coming. Um, I didn't make this connection because I didn't know, but... You probably know. I think everybody knows this, but did you know that Union Jack is the name of the British flag? The Union, the I United did not Kingdom. Know that. Oh, sweet. I'm glad. I didn't know until I Googled how to get here, but uh, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool name. And the guy is definitely British, taking coffee <laughs> orders. Uh, anyway, all right. Tell us about Radical. When did you first read it? Where did you hear about it? What made you want to read it? So, when I read Radical, um, my I had just became a Christian at 15. And I think I read it when I was 16, and my mom is always, like, putting books in my face, you know, like Chronicles of Narnia and, like, all these Christian books, maybe even a Joel Osteen book, which I would disagree with, you know. But uh, she gave me Radical, and it looked, it was appealing to me just from the cover. The cover just looked interesting, so I was like, okay, I'll read it. I just became a Christian. I didn't really uh, know what my goals were going to be, and uh, it kind of helped me really, I guess as a new Christian, it was a really good book um, to read. Yeah, I remember. Uh, well, I guess it would have hit you hard because it was it was a it was you had just it was like a new life for you. You read this radical book about how everything you've ever known is wrong, pretty much. But I, I guess it hit you hard the first time. And I remember when I was in college. I guess you would have been in high school when I was in college. But Platt was in his heyday, super popular. Everybody loved him, and I always wanted to read that book then, but I never did until recently. I think it would have grabbed me so much more then than it than it did now. And I'm not saying. I think it could have if I had been in high 15 or 16 when I read it or after because I didn't I wasn't saved till I was 19 but if I had just read it after I'd been saved I think it could have potentially pushed me to physically go to the end of the earth it was that it was that uh, it was that good I guess I could say but I don't I don't find it any less groundbreaking now but I think there's a difference in college age readers versus adult readers and I don't know maybe I was thinking about it on the way here I don't think it has to do with age I think it has to do with just spiritual maturity mm. so what I mean what do you think do you think if you read it now compared to then would it still have the same effect yeah actually when you asked me to do the uh the podcast you know I was like oh I haven't read that since <laughs> I was 16 so yeah. maybe I should go brush up on it so I actually opened it up uh over the weekend and just read the first you know 10 pages of it and I was thinking like when I first read this I was so excited I was on fire I was like oh man I will do anything uh for Christ and now when I read it I was like dang have I really lived up to some of my early (laughs) radical goals you know and uh it was definitely kind of sobering to think how sort of culture and life and career kind of erodes away at your spiritual goals and that was kind of a sad thing to be honest with you when I read that 
but I think if I went through and read the whole thing now, I think it would be maybe better to read it now. Right. Um, when I can, you know, make big decisions and there's nothing holding me back like high school or anything like that. That's true. That's a good point. And I found myself, I found myself being a little bit guilty for, and I quote, living the American dream. And after a little more thinking, though, I, I just can't bring myself to hate it so much. And I understand Platt, and I probably agree with him more than not. But I do believe that we have been blessed, so blessed here in America, so that we are able, you know, to make such a big difference around the world. Now, whether we, whether or not we are obedient to act, that's a completely different story, and one for a different time, I guess. But, I mean, look at the big-time players of the Bible, right? There were Many of them were wealthy and significant leaders. Influential, maybe? That's it, influential. They were okay. influential. <laughs> it all boils down to, to how we react with the resources we've been given. So do we hastily throw it away, or do we wisely disperse it in a way that honors Jesus? And in particular, are we grateful with what we have? And maybe that's the biggest breakdown. But what do you think about the American dream versus the Bible? Wow, so that's uh, such a good question. I think the American dream in the sense of I'm going to work my tail off to you know, pull myself up from my bootstraps and make something for myself is amazing. And I don't think in and of itself there's anything wrong with that. But I think if your goal is your goal in life and you know, once you get the car and you get the house, the next thing is the bigger house, the bigger car, and then the bigger, bigger house, and the bigger, bigger car, and all this kind of stuff, I think if that's your goal in life and those are all your aspirations, that's what you put all your money into. And I actually highlighted some of my favorite parts where he talks about money. Because when I read it, money, to me, that speaks to me a lot because I'm always trying to save money. I'm trying to get good deals on stuff. Like, I don't know, money just speaks to me. And there's a lot of biblical wisdom about money. But I think if your goals in life are all about just monetary gains, then that's a problem. And the American dream, I think, for a lot of secular people, that's what it is. Um, but like David Platt talks about in the book, in one part, I think, where he makes more money from uh, ministry and he gives more money. So he never increases how much money he's taking, but when he makes more money, he just gives more. And I think, you know, you've got to have that balance between I'm going to work my tail off to, you know, prepare, provide for my family, but your goal isn't to have as much as I can possibly get out of this life, that maybe if you are working hard to make more money, you can give more money and you can use it to glorify Christ, but your goal should not be the American dream. I'm glad you mentioned that about money because I was going to shift into this question, but now you just you made it so easy for me. <laughs> this is a touchy subject. We're going to do it anyway, and it is about the church and money. And this is a direct passage from the book. I'm going to read it. It's page 15 in mine. I don't know who. I don't know if the books are different everywhere. So this is Platt talking. He says, "I remember when I was preparing to take my first trip to Sudan in 2004. The country was still at war, and the Darfur region and Western Sudan had just begun to make headlines." A couple of months before we left, I received a Christian news publication in the mail. The front cover had two headlines side by side. I'm not sure if the editor planned for these particular headlines to be next to each other or if he just missed it in a really bad way. On the left, one headline read, The First Baptist Church Celebrates New $23 Million Building. A lengthy article followed, celebrating the church's expensive new sanctuary, the exquisite marble, intricate design, and the beautiful stained glass were all described in vivid detail. On the right was a much smaller article. The headline for it read, Baptist Relief Helps Sudanese Refugees. Knowing I was about to go to Sudan, my attention was drawn. The article described how 350,000 refugees in western Sudan were dying of malnutrition and might, might not live to the end of the year. It briefly explained their plight and sufferings. The last sentence 
said that Baptist had sent money to help relieve the suffering of the Sudanese. I was excited until I got to the amount. Now remember what was on the left. First Baptist Church celebrates new $23 million building. On the right, the article said, Baptists have raised $5,000 to send refugees in Western Sudan. Wow. <laughs> now I've always had issues. I've always had issues with these types of things. And honestly, for a while, it made me hate church. I didn't want to go because I didn't like how they were using their money. And, but just remember, Jesus on occasion, was he'd get fired up with the religious leaders, right? And I'm just curious, and I think you're going to say pretty much the same thing I've said, but is there anything like this that does or has gotten you fired up inside the church? Oh, yeah. I can remember uh, when I first became a Christian and— you know, you know what you've read that's kind of changed your heart and stuff and what the focus is. And then you go to church and you see this elaborate sanctuary with these windows like he's talking about and fellowship hall with all this food every time you go in there and tons of extra buildings and rooms that nobody even uses. And then they're always talking about the next thing they want to build. And you're like, what is going on here? Like, what is the focus? of <laughs> Are we building a gym? Are we building a church? Like, I don't know. It definitely was frustrating. And I've had this conversation with a lot of Christian brothers and sisters where you're like, what is going on with the church right now with the money? And it is frustrating, but I think there is still a lot of good things they do. And I think, so one problem is, I think a lot of conservative-minded people, not politically, but just financially, they're more reserved and they're not as likely to get in there and get involved with a church. You know, they're not the guys who are joining all the social clubs in high school, right? Right. And we need those people in the church because, you know, we're all part of the body of Christ. And those people who are smart with money need to be on those panels talking about where we're going to put the money. That's a very good point. And uh, I think that's one of the biggest problems is we don't have enough variety of personalities and people within the church involved in the church. Um, Because I, I think they were, then we wouldn't be making stupid decisions they are, in my opinion, they're stupid decisions with what we're doing with God's money. Hey Amen. I think you're right. And I'm not saying that a good church doesn't exist. There are many good churches that do steward their money very well. All right, let's shift again. That was a slight sidetrack. <laughs> but let's talk about Platt's writing for a minute. Obviously, he has a voice, and it's a big one. And you and I are writers. We want a voice. But do you want to write like Platt? Do you want such a mighty platform from which to voice your concerns and call people to action? I mean, who doesn't? (laughs) Selfishly, of course, yeah. Right. But um, I think, I mean, I've probably had somewhere between 20 and 50 people keeping up with my stuff for the past, since I wrote Five Flaming Arrows, you know. Right. And uh, I think that's awesome. Like, if that's the group, the sphere of influence that God wants me to have for the rest of my life, you know, I've got to be okay with that. Yeah. Um, If that's what he's predestined me to have. But, you know, if it's more than that, I've got to be happy with that. But, of course, I have the aspirations to have a greater sphere of influence, but I think a lot of that is just selfish. I think that if it's destined to be small, then i got to be, be okay with that. You, uh, you handle that better than I do because I want, like, thousands of people reading my stuff. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard for me to say, though. I wonder if Platt would even consider himself a writer because when you do this type of book, and I'm not saying it's easy by any means, and I know you know that, but he doesn't have to – he just has to be himself when you write a book like this. So you're just being your authentic self. And, and I do get that he's authentic. I don't think he's trying to be something that he's not. I think, he's, I think he stands by everything that he says. But when you write something like that, all you have to do is just write your thoughts, just pretty much have to write your thoughts. It's not right. easy. I'm not saying it's easy. <laughs> but anyway, I don't even think he would consider himself a writer. 
But I guess the real question is, do we want people to read our stuff and think, wow, what a thought, you know, what, what a mind-sparking way of writing? Or right. do we want him to say, wow, what a writer? Because I don't say, I don't read his stuff and think, wow, he's such a good writer. I right, read his yeah. stuff and think, wow, he's, he's really sparking my mind. Right, he's on you point know? with right. some truth, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, of course, like with the sphere of influence thing, you want more people. You want people to think you're good at what you do or whatever. You want to have a good reputation. But um, I think, yeah, I mean, I want people to think I'm a good writer. But more than that, I hope that in the details you're getting the gospel, whether it's fiction or nonfiction somehow you're getting the gospel and I think if I'm doing that then I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing because you know if someone reads even if it's a nonfiction book or if it's a fiction book I'd like them to still get the gospel yeah and I think C.S. Lewis does a great job of that you know even if you're not that familiar with Christianity and you read Chronicles of Narnia like you're going to be like oh who's this Aslan guy all about that sounds familiar you know right I uh yeah I actually was going to ask you about that because I, I don't normally ask guests about their own writing but you're currently writing fiction or fantasy, right? Yeah, and, I am. And I'm interested in doing the same because I am. I'm. I'm inspired by arguably the greatest fantasy writer ever, and J.R.R. Tolkien. I love Lord of the Rings. I'd second right? that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and I'm reading my son, my oldest son. He's the only one that listens, but I'm reading him the Chronicles <laughs> of Narnia right now. So that's awesome. I mean, I love these things. You know, I love these books. And, and whether Tolkien meant for so many Christian references to be present is up for debate, and I realize that. But, I mean, w- when we write our fiction and fantasy books, which we want to do and want to do well, we're going to put somehow or another, we're going to put Jesus in it. I right. mean, we, we wouldn't call him that, but we're still going to do it. So how are we going to do that? Like, how are we going to – I mean, you just said you intend to do it, but how do we do that? Well, I actually wrote a complete sci-fi book. And uh, I just kind of scrapped it. Like, I, I finished it. I rewrote it oh, twice. Oh, come on, man. And, uh, yeah, I'm not going to release it. <laughs> so the problem with it, well, we can, I don't want to get into too many details about that and talk about the topic, but basically it wasn't up to par with what I know I can do. Right. So it's just going to be a practice book. But in that book, my way of doing it then was kind of like a C.S. Lewis take on it, which was you have the Jesus character. And this guy was like, you know, basically a prophesied uh, returning God basically. And I think you can do stuff like that where you have a character that's a Christ-like character. It doesn't have to be a literal one-to-one Christ-like character, but maybe just a character who sacrifices everything in himself to save other people. Um, Or you can just literally tie it into um, the story and make the story a picture of um, the gospel with other characters. But I've also kind of had the idea that, I don't know if I'm going to do this, but I kind of want to, is at the end of every uh, fiction book, you just have the gospel at the end. So it's like, hey, you know, this is who I am. This is the gospel. Mm. I mean, why not? It's, you got two pages at the end. Right. That's a, that, I like that. And I can't believe you scrapped that book because I have been following that one. Sulcris, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was following that. <laughs> I apologize, I lo- yeah. I was looking for it the other day when I ca- came across the Five Flaming Arrows, which I did not know about. Yeah, and so I was like, where, where's this other book? <laughs> where is this other book? But that, that's crazy that you scrapped it. I'm proud of you, though, because that's a big deal. You write a whole book and, like, no, nobody's ever going to read this. Yeah, it was uh, 82,000 words. So Holy crap, man. That's, going that's to the a, hard drive. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Well, anyway, uh, I'm glad that we brought that up. But let's get back to Radical. So who would you, who would you recommend Radical to? I think it's probably really – I mean, for me, it was awesome as a new Christian. Um, but I think it would be really cool to – get somebody who's kind of at a comfortable stage in their life maybe they've gotten to which is where I'm at right now you get too comfortable in your life and what you've got going on 
I mean, I really want to reread this right now. So I think people who have gotten comfortable, it's just an encouragement to be like, reevaluate how you're spending your money, what you're doing every day, why you're doing what you're doing every day. I mean, the whole book is really, the title basically explains everything in the book. Are you living according to the world standards, which is this comfortable American dream kind of lifestyle? Are you living a radical lifestyle? I mean, Jesus lived a radical life, you know? Yeah, I think anybody it's going to be great for. But it, it clearly is written to Christians, I think. Right, yeah, I'm with you. All right, give us your closing statements. Yeah, so there's a couple of sections in the book. So I had mentioned money earlier um, because <laughs> I don't know why I've always liked money. Even growing up, I would always save you know, coins, I'd find coins in the parking lot and just keep them so I could buy like a fun dip or something at a Dollar General. So, <laughs> uh, but anyway, there's a couple of sections I thought were cool. So page 79, he says, taking either one of these offers would certainly not have been bad. So he's talking about a guy who could choose between two really good careers. It was like engineering, uh, speaking of that, and something else. Um, he says, but two years ago, Daniel came to faith in Christ. And this is not me, by the way. <laughs> uh, the focus of his entire life shifted to using the grace of God in his life to make much of the glory of God. Consequently, he turned down both options before him and instead went to work with an engineering program designed to help impoverished communities around the world. So this guy had basically two career options that were gonna be just really lucrative. And he read, I think it was in response to this book maybe, or um, just getting saved, and he decided to completely change that. And then this last part in page 193, he says, you see our hearts follow our money. So the money aspect to this book is what got me because I was thinking, you know, do I tithe? Do I even want to tithe? Do I even want to give? And that was kind of an evaluation for like, yeah, I'm a new Christian, but my heart needs a lot of work. So I think my final thoughts on the book is that when he talks about the money and like making more money in ministry and then giving more money and even reducing his overhead so that he had to live smaller so he could give more, um, I think all the aspects of that, if you're interested in just economics and finance, like this thing is going to really speak to you because that's the avenue in which it spoke to me. But of course, he's, he's talking about a lot of other stuff that's, that's really incredible. Um, but for me personally, that was where it really hit, hit my heart, I would say. Chapter 7 in Radical is called There Is No Plan B. And then really that sums it up. It sums it all up for me. And it isn't, it isn't just in our Christian walks. It's in everything with our spouse, with our kids, with our jobs, with our interests and our desires. I think an all-in approach should be used in all things with excellence. The best example I can think of is John the Baptist. This man chose a solitary life. He never drank a drop of alcohol. He lived in the woods. He ate bugs, all right? This man was as radical as you can possibly be. He was the, person he was the personified radical of his day. And for whatever reason, Radical carries a negative connotation with it, and I don't think it should. John was far-reaching. He was the definition of radical. He was an extremist. He did what he did and didn't care about his social status. He didn't care how he was viewed by his followers or his enemies. I'm even an antagonist of a John at times. I'll, I'll say, be reasonable or don't reach so far. While there is wisdom and evenness and level heads, they have their place. When all is said and done, I want to be an extremist. I want to have no plan B. I want to go all in. I want to be like John the Baptist, and I want to be radical. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining in. Be sure to check out faucetjournal.com and never forget to find more podcasts and book reviews on newdayinklings.com. And be sure to check out my book, 30, The Most Significant Age in the Bible, there on the site for you as well. Go forth and be blessed, my friends. And remember, grow your mind, keep your mind, read a book.